Welcome to our class on Chassidus. We're going to be learning today a beautiful Chassidic discourse about Hanukkah. The name of the Chassidic discourse is called Tanu Rabbanon Mitzvahs Ner Hanukkah. The Rebbe said this Chassidic discourse, a Moitzai Shabbos, Shabbos Parshas Miketz, it was a Shabbos on Hanukkah in the year Tavshin Lamed Ches, 44 years ago. The Rebbe went on to certify and edit this Hasidic discourse in the year Tavshin Memzayin, 35 years ago, and it came out as a booklet for Hanukkah. So again, the Hasidic discourse is based on the Talmud that says, Tanurabonin, the rabbis learned, Mitzvah Sneer Hanukkah. It describes how you observe the Mitzvah of Hanukkah. So they bring an argument. Beishamai says that on the first day of Hanukkah, you light eight candles. And thereafter, every single day, you take one candle off. So the first day is eight, the second day is seven, until you get to the last day, you're lighting one, one, one Hanukkah candle. Beis Hill says, just the opposite. On the first day, you light one candle, and every single day, you add a candle until you reach the eighth day of Hanukkah, and you light all eight candles. What is the reason, what's the base of the argument between Beis Hamai and Beis Hillel? So the, the Gemara explains, the reason why Beis Hamai says that you start off with eight, and you go down every single day, because you look on the holiday Sukkot, we know that we bring bulls, 70 bulls in the holiday Sukkot, the first day 13, and from there we go down every day. So just like the holiday Sukkot, in the service of the bulls, we went down every day, so the same thing also with, with, with Hanukkah, we, we start with eight, and we go down every day. Beis Hillel says, good point, but we know in Judaism, in holy things, you have to go up in life. Mylim B'Kodesh. So since you have to go up in life, so you start the first day with one, and every day you add, until you get to the eighth day, and you have eight on the eighth day. Shreva says, it's known, the, the, the point that the altar brings out, and he asks a very simple question. What's the connection between the holiday of Hanukkah and bulls that are brought in Sukkot? And especially, like the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, explains that also Beis Hillel holds in theory that you should follow the pattern of Sukkot, the bulls, and therefore the first day should have been eight and you should have gone then every, every day, just like Beis Shammai. However, since we have the quality of Maile Makoidesh, in holiness you want to go up in life, so therefore we go up in life. So in other words, back to the original question that Dr. Tzemach Tzedek asked, what, what's, the, what, what's the connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot, and specifically the bulls that are brought on the holiday of Sukkot? Now, it's brought down in many, many places that the connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot is that both of them are eight days. Hanukkah we know is eight days, and Sukkot is also eight days. What's the idea of eight? Because we know eight represents above nature. Above Ishtalshalos. So, and that, and they're both connected to above Ishtalshalos, above nature. So, I asked that, so this also we need to understand. What's the connection with Sukkot and Hanukkah that they're both above nature? And because of that, they're eight days. You know, yeah, it says Sukkot and Hanukkah is connected above nature. But what, what is it about it that it's above nature? Also, we know that, <clears throat> why do we light the Hanukkah candles? Because of the miracle that happened in the temple. With what? With, with the candelabra of the temple. Now, if you give a look at the candelabra of the temple, how many candles? There were seven candles. So if that's the case, we should have a candelabra on Hanukkah of seven candles. Why do we specifically have it of eight candles? Another question. In other words, the question is, what's the connection between the candles that we light in Hanukkah 
<clears throat> not only in general to the holiday of Sukkot, but specifically to the bulls that we bring on Sukkot. In other words, because we know that the Hanukkah is connected more to the Menorah. There was the miracle with the, with the, with the, with the candelabra. In other words, we light Hanukkah candles because of the miracle that happened in the temple with the oil and the menorah. So the Hanukkah is more connected to, the, to which part of the temple? The menorah. The bulls that are brought in the temple, where do they bring up the bulls? They, but like all the other sacrifices, they brought it up on the altar, which is connected to the Mizbeach, the altar. Now we know that the candelabra and the altar is two different, two different vessels in the temple. Not only are they two different vessels, but actually the whole service is different. In other words, candles and sacrifices is told different, two different types of spiritual work. Up to the point we know that Hashem told Aaron, Aaron Akhoyin, the high priest, that yours, your service, which you know Aaron was in charge of lighting the candles in the menorah, is greater than the sacrifices. Also, we know that the candles, the menorah is not going to be, when Mashiach comes, we're still going to have the, we're going to have the candles. So if that's the case, what's the connection between the two? It's two seemingly different, different ideas in the temple. Also, we have to understand that we know when we light the candles on Hanukkah, the mitzvah burnt lighting the candles is when? When it, when it, when, the, when it starts getting dark outside. You light the candles when it starts getting dark. Now, why do we night, why do we light the candles when it starts getting dark, uh, 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 dark? In other words, What's the question? Because we know if you're burning the candles because of the way it was done in the temple, in the temple they burnt the candles, they lit the menorah when, not when it got dark, they burnt, they, they lit the can, the menorah, something in, in Hebrew it's called plag ha-mincha. What does plag ha-mincha mean? It's an hour and a quarter <coughs> before the Shkia, an hour and a quarter earlier. Now since we're lighting the Hanukkah menorah, because of the miracle that happened with the candelabra in the temple, and we know that when you establish something, you establish a world similar, so seemingly we should have lit, we should, we should light, be lighting the Hanukkah candles earlier. And, but nevertheless, the mitzvahs went to light it, the mitzvahs specifically to light it when it gets dark. So you see, there's a lot of things we need to clarify in relation to what? To lighting in the Hanukkah menorah. So Rebbe explains as follows. And he says the point of the explanation is going to be based on the foundation and the essence of what is the what is that purpose and what is the essence of the Hanukkah menorah? What is the essence of the candles that we light in Hanukkah? And we know that in a spiritual level, the reason why we light the Hanukkah menorah, the reason why we take the candles and we light it, is for one reason, one reason only, and that is to bring light into darkness. So Hanukkah and lighting the menorah represents bringing light into darkness. That's the essence of Hanukkah. The essence of Hanukkah is to take places that are dark and bring light into it. Brighten up a dark situation, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and all levels. Hanukkah is about brightening the darkness, bringing light to a dark place. Why is that? Because what was the miracle of Hanukkah? This, the miracle of Hanukkah happened after the Greeks went into the temple and they defiled all the oil in the temple. In other words, what does that represent? It's not only a physical representation, they came and they filed it. But we're talking about the fact that the Greeks had tremendous power, the darkness, so to speak, of the, of, of the Greeks, up to the point that not only did they go into the temple and defile the temple, but they even defiled the oil in the temple. What's so, what's so, what's so alarming about defiling the oil in the temple? Because we know that oil is on the level of Kodesh. 
Oil is a very, very high spiritual level. It's a level of holiness. And like the verse says, Shemen Mishchas Kodesh. The oil that was used for anointing holiness. Or like the exact, Kodesh Milabergami. Not, it, it's infused with something else. Oil in itself is holy. Like for example, we see that the oil, if you put oil with any other liquids, oil is always going to rise to the top. Why? Because oil is something which is physically powerful. More importantly, it's spiritually powerful. The Greeks came not only to defile the temple, they defiled the oil in the temple. In other words, this they defiled the oil in the temple. It's more and worse than, the, than they actually defiled the temple itself. Even though we know that the, the holiness of the temple is a very, very high level of holiness, because we, we know in the Talmud it speaks about different levels of holiness. They list ten different levels. So the, the temples, one of the highest levels on, on, in, the, in the ten levels. And <clears throat> so, so we're dealing with something very, very high, but the oil is even higher. How do we know the oil is even higher? Because you have a look at what happened after we came back into the temple, after the miracle, when we were able to come back into the temple, and we were purified the temple. So life should be good. No, no, no. We purified the temple, but in order to light the menorah, you needed a separate miracle. Starting from the beginning, the first miracle was that they found the little jug of oil, which was sealed by the seal of the high priest, which represents on a spiritual level, the infinite light of Hashem, which is totally above nature. In other words, why were they able to find that little jug of oil? It wasn't just they only found the little jug of oil. The, the little jug of oil represents the infinite light above Hishtalshalus. You know, when you're dealing with such a powerful light, darkness can't, can't defile that. And that's why even after they defile the temple and all the oil, there's one place, the infinite light, which is above Hishtalshalus, represented by that jug of oil, they, they weren't able to defile that. On the contrary, not only they can't defile it, but that light... The light of the infinite light, which is above Ishtalshalos, actually brightens up the darkness. Or like the Torah the, the brings the verse, from the prophet that said, referring to the infinite light, will bring light into the darkness. And that's why the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah, specifically when it gets dark. Why? Because the purpose of Hanukkah menorah is to take a dark space and bring light into it. And that's also why the candles of Hanukkah, they're eight. Why eight? And also the days of Hanukkah are eight. Why? Because we know that eight represents above nature. And when you're dealing with above nature, you not only the above nature doesn't get dark, but on, on the contrary, from a, the power of above nature, we're able to bring light into the darkness. So again, so up until here, which is an important point, the Rebbe is saying is, the purpose of the Hanukkah Menorah is to bring light into the darkness. And like we saw in the miracle of the temple, the goal was to defile the oil. But guess what? They can defile an, up until a certain level. But the essence of the oil, which is represented by the infinite light of Hashem, above Ishtal Shalos, that you can't defile. And because they had that, they were able to go ahead and bring back light into the darkness. And that's when we light the menorah, we light it swiftly in the dark, and we light it for eight days, because that represents connecting to above Ishtal Shalos, above nature. 
Now the Rebbe is going to explain this on a very, very practical level. And the term we always use is when we deal with spiritual transformation and refinement of character, it's called Ba'avoydas Adam, the spiritual work that we do to transform ourselves. So the Rebbe is going to explain this based on introduction of an idea that's brought down in different Kabbalistic, Hasidic teachings of the Rebbe's father and of the previous Rebbe. And he says like this, why did the Greeks go ahead and defile the temple, and more specifically the oil in the temple? And the previous server explains, because their whole purpose, their whole war was, it wasn't a physical war. It was a spiritual war. In other words, they weren't looking to hurt people. They weren't looking to torture people. Their whole war was one war. They wanted, as it says in the prayers, that we should forget the Torah of Hashem. And we should transgress from, and we should not observe the statutes of God. You know, their goal was a spiritual destruction. Our connection to God through Torah, that is God's Torah, and our connection to God through the mitzvot. Not only that, even in the war against us learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, their main war was a spiritual war. And the and a godly war of the Torah mitzvahs. In other words, that's why when it says Lashkicham, that we should forget it says Torah Secha, referring to your Torah, the Torah of Hashem. In other words, the Greeks didn't care that we learned Torah, but what bothered them that we that we learn Torah because it's God's Torah. You want to learn intellectual concepts in the Torah, whether it's Kabbalah, mysticism, Mishnah, Talmud, uh, stories. If it's you know academic, they didn't mind that we that we, we had an academia, a Jewish academia, as we know it says, we're wise and intellectual people amongst the nations of the world. They had no problem that you have intellects. Their problem was in the war they waged because they wanted for us to disconnect from the Torah Secha that we're that we're that respecting that it's God's Torah, or we should God forbid forget that the Torah is Torah Hashem. It's a Torah that comes from Yudke Bavke, from the infinite part of Hashem. So that was their war against Torah. They didn't want us to learn Torah, not the academic. They didn't want us to have the godliness of the Torah. That was one war. The second one was also in reference to mitzvot. And it was the Greeks' war in reference to mitzvot wasn't about doing a good act. It was about doing a godly act. In other words, the fact that mitzvot, the commandments, are the will of Hashem. And that's what it means, lahaviro mi ritzoinecha. And those chukim, chukim refers to the, which part of the mitzvah is the statutes, the ones that don't make sense, the ones that are above logic, the ones that the only reason why you're doing is because Hashem told you to do it. And ritzoinecha referring to the will of Hashem. And Rebbe explains those two insights into, to, to explaining it in reference to the mitzvahs. In other words, we know when it comes to the mitzvahs, there's three different types of mitzvahs. There's edus, chukim, and mishpatim. What's the difference? Edos are the mitzvahs that we do to celebrate as a testimony. For example, we celebrate Shabbat because God created the world in six days, rest in the Shabbat. We observe Passover because God took us out of Egypt. And different mitzvahs go into the category of Edos. Mishpatim are logical rules that even if the Torah wasn't given, we would put them in. Civilized society needs rules. Then there's something which is called chukim. Chukim are beyond logic reasons. The whole idea of purity and impurity, kosher and non-kosher, these obviously don't make sense. So Rebbe explains to this. In reference to the mitzvahs that are edos, you want to celebrate because God took you out of Egypt, he, he rested on the seventh day, you want to sell, you want to uh, have civilized laws, they're, we're okay with that, because they're, they're intellectually they make sense. 
That you know, the Greeks, so to speak, agreed to the mitzvahs of Edus Meshpatim. What was their war? No, 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 chukim. You know those crazy laws of purity and impurity, kosher, etc. Why are you doing that? It don't make sense. You're doing it because it's the will of Hashem, the rocks in Hashem. So that's what they, that's what bothered them. That's the war they waged. They waged the war not necessarily against Edus and Meshpatim, but specifically against chukim. That's one opinion. That's one way to look at it. Another insight is, no, 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 even deeper. This that they wanted to take us away from Chukei Ritzunechos, according to the first insight, it's referring to specifically the Chukim. It's referring, no, it's, it's according to the second insight, even deeper, no, they wanted us to take away the Chukim of all the mitzvahs. In other words, even the mitzvahs of Edus and Meshpatim, they don't want us to observe because and, you know, because they're the mitzvah of Hashem. You want to observe Eidos, Passover, and uh, Sabbath, and you want to, you know, have a civilized laws, fine, put them in, but not because they're God's laws. They don't want it to be a godly law. So there's a difference is, according to the first insight, they, they were okay with Eidos and Mishpat. They were okay with testimonies and, and civilized laws. They were not okay with, with Chukim. According to the second insight, even the Eidos and Mishpat would irk them because the reason we're doing it is because it comes from Hashem. In other words, why did it really bother them? The Rebbe explains now in a very, very practical uh, way. He goes into now explaining what was the issue with the fact that we're observing Eidos and Meshpatim because Hashem commanded us. The Rebbe explains as follows. Because <clears throat> when it comes to the mitzvahs of Eidos, testimonies like you know Shabbos and, Pes- and Passover, etc., and civilized laws, why do we observe them? Even though they're civilized, and even though it's a nice, you know, holiday Passover and and the the, the Shabbat that we celebrate, even though they're they're nice, you know, beautiful holidays and beautiful celebrations, why do we do them? We don't do them because they're a civilized law, because we're celebrating. We went out of Egypt. We're doing it because it's Ratzon Hashem. It's the will of Hashem, and as we observe the Chukim, Edus and Mashpatim from the same perspective, it, to us it's not a difference. True, this doesn't make sense, and true, this is a testimony, and true, this is a logical law, but we observe Eidos, Chukim, Mishpatim, all 613 commandments, and 248 positive, the three six are negative, for one reason, one reason only, because it's the will of Hashem. That's the reason why we observe all the mitzvahs. In other words, even the mitzvahs, that there's a reason for it. A lot of the mitzvahs have reasons for it. Why do we observe it? Because it's Ratz and Hashem. Keyword, Ratzin Hashem, I'm doing the will of Hashem. In other words, and this applies not only to the person doing the mitzvah, I'm doing it because it's Ratzin Hashem. But even, and what happens when you do a mitzvah because it's Ratzin Hashem? So you're doing it, so to speak, as a servant of Hashem. Hashem wants me to do it, I'm doing it. It makes sense, it doesn't make sense. It is a testimony, it's not, I am doing Ratzin Hashem. Now, <clears throat> so what happens like this? So it applies not only to the person doing the mitzvah, in other words, when you're observing the mitzvah, you're not observing it because it makes sense, or there's a logic, but I'm doing it for one reason, one reason only. I'm doing it because this is what Hashem asked me to do. So that's, for me, observing the mitzvah. But even the mitzvah itself, all the mitzvahs, even the ones that make sense, and even the ones that have a reason, the mitzvah is really the will of Hashem. Irrelevant how I observe it. The mitzvah itself, this is the Ratzin Hashem. Hashem wants us to, uh, the mitzvah is that Hashem wants us to celebrate uh, Shabbat, Hanukkah, uh, Passover, etc. And to do all the reasons, the mitzvah because of logic. Now, even though there's a reason, but the fact is we're doing it, the mitzvah is all about the will of Hashem. 
What does that mean? This is what Hashem decreed, and Hashem decreed to do it, but even the reason, that's Hashem's will, that it should have this reason. The reason is not that the reason caused the mitzvah. The mitzvah is because Hashem told us to do it. And then Hashem attached a reason to it. It's not the other way around. There's a reason, therefore you do the mitzvah. No, the mitzvah is connected to the will of Hashem. And the will of Hashem, some have logic and some don't have logic. Not only that, there goes a step further. Even the mitzvah, that there is attached a reason and a logic. But the truth is, the mitzvah is much deeper and much higher than the logic that we can understand. Why? Because what's the real reason for a mitzvah? The real reason is Hashem has a reason. Hashem, in Hashem's intellect. Now, so let's say there's a reason for a mitzvah. Who gave the reason for it? It's the one that gave the mitzvah. So whose intellect has a reason? The infinite, the, whose intellect? The Hashem's intellect. Now, Hashem's intellect is not like our intellect. Our intellect is finite. Hashem's intellect is infinite. As we know that Hashem and His intellect are all one. So how is it possible that a human being that's finite and limited could really comprehend the reason of Hashem? I mean, is it really possible? I mean, is it a joke? Could we really comprehend the the wisdom, the reason of Hashem? We're finite. And like the author brings in, 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 in Tanya in, 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 in Egeris HaKodesh that the reasons of the mitzvahs were not revealed. And it's above intellect. And it's above comprehension. Even where the Torah gives a reason. Do this mitzvah, and this is the reason for it. But even that reason, that's not the ultimate reason. It's a, fine, it's a reason. It's like giving you know, a child a, a, you know, a candy, and he feels good for two seconds. He's not, he's not feeling... The candy just to, 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 to pass around for a few minutes. So even when the Torah gives us a reason, it's a limited reason. It's not the ultimate reason. How can we know the ultimate reason of Hashem is infinite? In other words, this idea that we're saying, that the reason that we understand it's not the ultimate reason, it's anyone can comprehend it. Why? Because any simple person understands that a finite and a limited intellect that we have, we cannot comprehend the infinite understanding of Hashem. In other words, this that anywhere in the Torah there's a reason for a mitzvah, that itself is a tremendous wonder. How can we understand the, the, the reasons for the mitzvah of Hashem? So how could we? And the answer is very, very simple. It's chaz de Hashem. It's the kindness of Hashem that an intellect, as fine as we have, we should have some kind of comprehension. It's a gift from Hashem. The fact that sometimes we understand, that's a gift from Hashem. Now, even after Hashem gave us the gift, and he revealed some kind of insight to a mitzvah. And there's a reason that we can comprehend. Oh, I understand it. But nevertheless, that's a reason for the general idea of the mitzvah. It doesn't go into every single detail of the mitzvah. So in other words, you see from here is like this. Even when it comes to the mitzvahs that are edus, testimonies, and the mitzvahs which are mashpatim, which are logical, to us, they're also like chukim, they're also like statutes. Why? Because the reason of mitzvahs that comes from the, the intellect of Hashem is much higher than for us to understand. Not only that, it's not only, not only higher for us to understand, it's actually coming from a place of the will of Hashem. Which the will of Hashem is even higher than Chachma. A mitzvah ultimately comes from Ratzoin, from a will, not from intellect. 
So even we understand, okay, we got that's a, f- a finite comprehension, but the, ultimately the mitzvah comes from the will of Hashem. And this powerful idea that we're saying that the edus and mishpatim. Ultimately, why do we do them? We do them because it's the will of Hashem. Sometimes we understand. Sometimes we don't understand. So we don't understand what we're doing because it's the will of Hashem. Even when we understand, it only understand a little bit. And we don't understand the ultimate depth of it. So when we do a mitzvah, whether it's chukim, edus, mishpatim, we're doing it because it's the will of Hashem. Not because we understand that we appreciate it makes sense to us. And this is what the Greeks, it bothered them. How can you live a life just following Hashem? I mean, where's your intellect? Where's your understanding? So what they wanted to was, they wanted to destroy our special relationship we have with Hashem. They wanted to take away from the fact that we had a relationship with Hashem with doing the chukim of Hashem, which applies to chukim and edus and mishpatim. In other words, what, what the Greeks tried to accomplish was they wanted to uproot, God forbid, from the Jewish people the godly experience that we have in the mitzvah. Because when you don't understand and you're just doing it just because Hashem asked you, that's a godly mitzvah. And they wanted to take away the godliness part. In other words, the fact is, all the mitzvahs is the chachma Hashem, which is above our intellect. So they wanted to take away michukim, the fact that we're doing the mitzvahs because they're on the level of a chayk. And they wanted to take away, God forbid, our feeling in mitzvahs, which is the will of Hashem. So that was the war. So the war from the Greeks war that we should not have a godly relationship with Hashem. So based on this, Rebbe explains very powerful, and he says like this, we know it says in the Talmud that when the Greeks came into the temple, they went ahead and they defiled, what did they do? They run to defile? They ran for that oil. They ran to to defile the oil, to make it impure. In other words, what is, what, what, what is it saying in the Talmud? When the Greeks went into the temple, Lahechel, the temple, what, did they, what was their effort, and what did they put all their energy in? To take the oil and make it impure. And that's how they were going to, so to speak, destroy the Jewish people. That's how they were going to win over the Jewish people, by defiling the oil. Why? What were they so excited about the oil? And Rebbe explains very simply. The temple, the Heichel, and the, in the terms of the 10th sphere, what is the Heichel connected to? It's connected to the idea of Bina. Chachma Bina Das is connected to more Bina. Shemen, the oil on the other hand, in the temple, that's Chachma. So Shemen is Chachma, the temple is Bina. They were going to defile what? Not necessarily only the Bina, for sure Bina, but they were going also to defile Chachma. And those Chachma, which is higher than the intellect of Bina. As we learned before, Shemin is in the level of Kodesh, holiness, Chachma. And therefore they went ahead and they tried to defile all the oil that was in the temple of Bina. Why? To take away our connection, our holy connection. To cause us to God forbid to forget the Torah of Hashem and the mitzvahs of Hashem. And those learn mitzvah, learn Torah, do mitzvahs. But it should only be from a level of intellect, not necessarily from the level, not, no, not specifically not from the level of chachma and from the level of holiness. That was the war. So now that we know what the war was, what was the agenda of the war, that we shouldn't have that special godly relation with Hashem, they're trying to destroy the oil, which represents chachma. So in order to overcome that war, 
So what happens now is, what was their, their goal? Their goal was to take away our special relationship. So how do you, how do you win the war? How do you regain the, the, what they were trying to destroy? So you can't go ahead and start having a relationship with Hashem based on logic and reason. That's what they wanted from us. They wanted we should have a logical and reasonable relationship with Hashem. That's not how we're going to win a war. Also, you can't win the war by going back to having a, a relation with Hashem which is above intellect and understanding, but it's somehow connected to internal understanding. And those in, in practical Kabbalistic terms, it's called, we know from the Neshama, we have Nefesh Ruach Neshama, and then we have, which is all connected to our Primius, Tam Vadas, and then you have Chaya, which is connected to, which is Makif, it, it hovers over us. So Makif is, even though it hovers over, it's above nature, but it's connected to nature. Because Makif is connected to Nefesh Ruach Neshama. So it's not enough to, 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 to develop a relation with Hashem from the level of Makif, of Chaya, which is basically above nature, but it's connected to nature. And as a Hebrew, it's called Makif Akari, the Makif, which is close to nature. Because since they went ahead and defiled the oil of the temple, in other words, they defiled the level of above nature, which is connected to nature. They were able to defile that. Makif Akhaya. Chachma, they were able to defile it. So in order to win the war, Tambadas is not going to work. In other words, an above Tambadas is not going to work. So Makiv of Chaya is not going to work. So you have to go to the higher level of Makiv, which is Yechida. So to weigh the wind, the war is specifically going to Yechida. What does that mean practically? What does it mean you're connected to Yechida? That is when we relic, we want to have a relationship with Hashem and a level of mysterious Nefesh. We're willing to give up our whole life for Hashem. What does mysterious Nefesh mean practically? That's when you take a stand, a strong stand, about against anyone that's holding you back and stopping you having a relationship with Hashem. In Hebrew, it's called toikif atzmi, an internal, essential stand above above logic and above above intellect. Off the charts, no intellect, no logic, not even above logic, which is connect the logic. Toikif atzmi, strong, essential stand, which is above intellect. Like for example, when you go and self sacrifice. To sanctify God's name. You're not doing it because it makes sense. But the reason why you're doing it is because you don't want to be disconnected from Hashem. Where does that come from? That comes from the connection of the essence of our soul, which is called Yechida. And this essential connection of our soul, what does that represent? It can't be different. I am not being disconnected from Hashem even for a second. That doesn't sound like logic. That's not even above logic connection. It's totally off the charts. We're not being disconnected. That's the way you wage the war. That's the way you win the war against the Greeks. Now, in the level of Yechida, on the highest level, above nature, which is not even connected to nature, over there, in the lower levels, yes, the Greeks can get to your intellect. They can get to your above nature, connected to nature. But in the level of Yechida... It's not possible to create a blemish there. It's not possible to to uh, to um, make it in a way where it's not holy. It's not possible to taint it. It's not possible to bring in any tumor there, defiling it. In other words, just like that literal jug of oil that was sealed with the seal of the high priest, no one can touch it because yechida you can touch. And as when we serve Hashem on a level of mesirus nefesh, we're willing to go on self sacrifice. From what? From our Yechida? That's the way you win the war against the Greeks. And the Rebbe says, just like, it was literally, with the war with the Greeks in a literal sense, 
that when the way from the physical level that when when the when Matasio and his children went on the serious nevish, they went on soul sacrifice. What does it mean they went on soul sacrifice? Because the fact is, there 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 were there were very very few people. They were very very weak. But nevertheless, they stood up with what power did they go? What power did they go to war? They, what, what the power they went with wasn't logic. wasn't above logic connecting. It wasn't with their Yechai. It was their Yechid itself that went to war. And they were able to go to war against strong people, uh, many, many people. And by doing that, they actually inspired people in their, their, their generation to give their life over, to, um, to sanctify God's name, not to, God forbid, transgress against God. And that's specifically how they were able to win the war. They won the war with our Yechida, with Nasiris Nefesh. And the Rebbe says when a person goes on Nasiris Nefesh, and you bring out Yechida, so you can think it's not complete, because your intellect, your emotions, etc. He says, no, 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 no. The war that you win when you go with Nasiris Nefesh, and you bring out your Yechida, that's a real, complete, complete uh, victory. It's a complete victory. Why? Besides the fact, when you serve a with Mesirah Nefesh, where is it coming from? It's coming from not from an external you. It's coming from your essence. So when it comes from your essence, it penetrates in all your attributes of, of, of intellect, emotions, up until action. What happens when you, a person is going on Mesirah Nefesh, your chida is shining, it affects you on all levels. And it's recognizable, this is a person that's going on a serious nefesh. And like Torah gives an example. We all know Avram Avinu, where it says in the Torah, and we know Avram Avinu was a, was a person of a serious nefesh. He went and saw sacrifice. What does it say in the Torah reference to Avram Avinu? Akev, which literally is translated as because. Because Abraham listened to my voice. So Akev also we know is a translation for the heel, which is the lowest part of the body. But when Abraham Avinu went in a serious nefesh, Akev, even his heel, heard and felt godliness. So by going in a serious nefesh, it's a complete, it's a complete victory because it, it 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 penetrates every part of the human being, all the spheres up until your physical, your heel. Not only that, when it, when Yechida is alive, when the Yechida is activated, it's not even it's not even possible to have opposition. There's no opposition in the world of Yechida. In other words, because you're dealing with when you serve Hashem with logic, or even when it's above logic connected to logic, yeah, there's, there's opposition. And the proof is the Greeks are able to defile it physically and spiritually. However, when you awaken your Yechida, and you say, no, 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 there's no way I'm being disconnected, there's no, there's no opposition on that level. And that level affects every part of you. But not only that, when the Yechida is revealed, that when your Yechida is revealed, what happens is it actually impacts your animal soul. That literally the coarse animal soul that we have gets transformed. So when Yechida comes out, guess what? Not only there's no opposition, and not only there's full transformation, but you're even able to engage and transform your animal soul. That the animal soul is on board as well. So based on this, Jebra explains, very, very powerful, why there's a difference between the candles of Hanukkah and the candles in the temple. Both in the in the in the number of candles, and both in the time of day that we lit it. And as what have we just learned? What is Hanukkah? Hanukkah is all about Mesiris Nefesh. A Mesiris Nefesh comes from our Yechida, which is above above logic, above nature, above all the spheres. So since it's, since 
the miracle of Hanukkah is all about Mesiris Nefesh, above logic, and that's why specifically there was eight candles. Why? Because eight represents above nature. Seven is nature, and eight is above nature. So now we know why it's eight days and eight candles, because eight represents above nature. And just like there was says, the difference between the violin that's played in the base of Mikdash, do we know the violin in the base of Mikdash had seven strands, seven strings? The violin that's going to be played when Mashiach comes is going to be of eight strands. So Rebbe asks a simple question, what do you mean? We're dealing with the base of Mikdash, the holiest place in the world. And especially we're talking about the violin in the base of Mikdash. And the violin in Hebrew is called a kinar. And, uh, so, and kinar, the, the violin draw in, draw into the base of Mikdash, the infinite yutke vavke of Hashem. Because how do we know that? Because Kinar is made up of, 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 of has four letters. Um, it has in the Kinar is spelled Chaf Nun Vav Reish. So Nun Reish is referring to a candle, and Chaf Vav is 26, which is the numerical value of the infinite name of Hashem. Yud K Vav K, which is 10, 5, 6, and 5, which is 26. So it's basically Nair. The candle represents the, the, the Nair Hashem, the candle of God, the soul of a human being. So in the temple, you have the holiest place in the world, the temple. You're drawing in, through the kinah, you're drawing in from the infinite part of Hashem. But nevertheless, even though you're drawing from the infinite part of Hashem, but in the Mesa Mikdash, there's only Seder Estalshlos. You're, you're drawing in heavy, heavy, heavy energy. You're kevavke, but it's, you're drawing it into where? Into nature. And therefore, since you're drawing it into nature, there were seven, seven strands in the violin. However, when Mashiach comes, we're going to have the revelation of what? Above nature. Not the Yudke Bavke, the way it comes down to the world. It's called Shema Bayi Dela'ela. Yudke Bavke from on high. That, therefore, we're going to have when Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, the, the violin is going to be of eight strands, which represents above nature. So, and, so that's, why was, that's why eight days and, and, and eight candles. And the second difference we see is that in the, in the, in the candles of Hanukkah, why don't we light them, versus the candles that were lit in the temple? In other words, the mitzvah of lighting the candles of the menorah, we do when it gets dark. Why? Because when you bring out and you reveal the yechidah, which is above nature, so then you have no problem with the darkness. Because when it comes dark, you, we, bright, we brighten up the darkness, we bring light into the darkness. And it was not only does the darkness doesn't conceal from the light, but there was a step further. We actually transform the darkness. The darkness becomes light. So not only doesn't it doesn't it doesn't doesn't allow the light the light to come out, the light to shine in the darkness, but it actually transforms the darkness. The darkness actually becomes light. And that's why there brings another fascinating point because we know uh, it says in the Talmud, till when can you light the candles? So it says you can light the candles ancha tichla. Um, <clears throat> Regelman Ashuk, and the expression that used in the Talmud is ad de kalya rigla de tamadoi. What does that mean on a on a on a on a on a, on a spiritual level? So tamadoi um, uh, is referring to. So it refers to people of tamadoi, but tamadoi, the word also is. If you take the word tamadoi, it has the same letters as a a moirid, someone that rebels. And those, even to the point where you have people that rebel in Hashem, Tarmah is the same letter as Meredes, and they're in, they're, and they're in the street. People that rebel against Hashem, 
and not only that, so you're dealing with people that rebel, rebel against Hashem. Also, where are they? They're in the public place, which is which we know is a place which has no no water, no, no no ownership and no boundaries. It's totally open to anything. But nevertheless, by lighting the candles, we're in an open space and lighting the candles where people that rebel are there. So what happens is the power of the candles of Hanukkah that it's able to create kill you. It's able to transform the people that rebel against Hashem. And there says there's two two levels in, 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 in transforming the people that can rebel against Hashem. One on a simple level is that by lighting the Hanukkah candles, it, it, it gets rid of and it nullifies the people that rebel against Hashem. So the candles come out, boom, all the people that rebel against Hashem are disappear. A, there was a step a step further, a step deeper, that the light of the candles of Hanukkah creates a, a, a yearning, a tremendous deep yearning. Kaloyan comes from the word of, 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 the soul is going out. The soul is connecting to Hashem. Even in people that normally would rebel against Hashem, even the purple rebel will become to the level they're going to yearn out to Hashem. So in other words, you see the Hanukkah lights have the power, A, to either get rid of anything negative, but more importantly, it actually transforms the negative. The negative becomes a positive force. And based on this, Rebbe explains, the connection between the candles of Hanukkah, which we started in the beginning, it says that what's the connection between the candles of Hanukkah and the holiday of Sukkot and the bulls that are offered on Sukkot? And Rebbe explains very simple, because we know what's the idea of the holiday of Sukkot and also the bulls that are brought on, on the holiday of Sukkot. On Sukkot, we know you reveal tremendous levels of makifim, which means above Ishtalshlas, above nature. Like, for example, specifically, we know the Sukkah. You go into a sukkah. What's a sukkah? It's not something like a garment you wear. It's something you internalize. It's co- it covers over you. It's like makif, like the yechida, which car- harbors over the person. So you see that what that sukkah is connected, and specifically the parayachag is connected to the idea of makif. And what happens on the eighth day of sukkahs? So all those powerful makif energies that are above us, like the level of yechida, on the eighth day they become internalized. Just like when a person goes on Mesiris Nefesh on Hanukkah, so it's not just Mesiris Nefesh and it's up above you. It actually gets internalized within you. Like we gave the example for from Abramavinu, Akev, he transformed even the heel. And that's the connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot. And that's why Hanukkah and Sukkot are both eight days, because they're both connected to above nature. Now, why? what's the idea of eight above nature? Because what is the idea of eight? Eight is, we have seven as nature. So in order from seven to go above nature, you add a one. Seven is nature, you add a one. So you, so you have Aleph, one, above nature, and connect the seven. In other words, Aleph is, is represented by the extra day they added to make it above nature. So the Aleph, the one, which represents above nature, refers to Hashem, is drawn in to the Zion, drawn into the seven, the seven, seven days and seven levels of nature. And just like the Hanukkah candles, Affects in the people that are rebelling against Hashem in two ways. One is they totally get nullified, but not only that, they actually get transformed. So the same thing also applies to the sacrifices that are brought in the temple. You mentioned before there are seventy bulls that are brought in the temple. Why seventy? We bring sacrifices in honor of the nations of the world. So first, the component of by bringing the sacrifices to get rid of all the negative forces in the world. 
They should, the, the negative, the force should be diminished. But the goal is deeper. Just like Hanukkah, first is to get rid of the negative force, then to transform it by bringing the 70 bulls. You not only get rid of the negative force, but you actually transform the negative force into something positive. Up, up into the point that they help the Jewish people. And like it's brought down in the Chazal that say that if the nations of the world knew how great and how important the temple w- w- was for them, they would actually surround it to protect it because it's actually getting rid of the negative forces and actually elevating the world. In other words, by creating an awareness and that, that the temple is not only there for the Jewish people, but it's there to get rid of the negative forces and transform the negative into positive, which is in the Hebrew terminology, it's called the sapcha, total transformation. So by doing that, what happens is you add into holiness and into actually watching the base of Mikdash. Up until the Rebbe says, the ultimate is going to be when Mashiach comes, when the whole world is going to have one voice and we're all going to serve one Hashem. And as it says, what's going to happen then? All people that were strange before are going, to, are going to take care of the sheep and take care of whatever we needed so we can all serve Hashem together. And thus like when they brought the 70 bulls that were in honor of the 70 nations of the world. And what happened after seven, seven days of Sukkot bringing the bulls to the nations of the world? What happened? We got a gift. We got Shemini Atzeres. We got that unique day, which was basically dedicated for Hashem in the Beis Hamikdash. And they're finished off and he says like this. <clears throat> what are we saying? The, the lighting of the candle is to take the darkness and get rid of the darkness and transform the darkness. So what darkness are we talking about? So we have, so the, says, the darkness we're talking about is specifically applied to the darkness of exile. And especially the double darkness of the generation right before Mashiach's coming. And this is the powerful lesson that we have from the lights of Hanukkah. For every single person in Gullus. We're in Gullus. It's dark. It's very, very dark before Mashiach's coming. But the lesson is that the purpose and the intent of the Gullus and the darkness of Gullus is to awaken within us Messiris Nefesh to bring out our Yechida. And we bring out our Yechida and we go on Messiris Nefesh, we're able to transform and elevate the darkness of Gullus into, into light. And when every single person does their avoidah, of bringing out the yechida, going on Masiris Nefesh, bringing light into the world, and when everyone does it, at least most people do it, or even if someone does one single mitzvah, and if every single person does one mitzvah, whether you do it, you do it in, in action, by physically doing a mitzvah, or by speech, by learning, by praying, or in thought, thinking about Hashem, etc., you literally tip yourself and the world in a positive in a positive light and you cause a salvation and a blessing for yourself and for the whole world and the Rebbe finished up by saying how much more so by specifically not only learning Torah and praying and doing mitzvah specifically by adding in the mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah candles and inspiring other people to light Hanukkah candles because Hanukkah candles are specifically connected to salvation and huge blessings and the redemption, redemption which is going to happen when Mashiach comes. Why? Because we know in reference to Mashiach and in reference to Elijah, both of them are here to bring us to redemption. And they are, as brought down in the Talmud, it says there are, there are eight princesses amongst men, and, 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 they are, and two of them are what? Referring to Mashiach and Eliyahu Navi. So you see the number eight, which is connected to Hanukkah, is also connected to Mashiach and Elijah. 
And another idea that says a connection between the candles of Hanukkah and the ultimate redemption, just like we know that the candles of Hanukkah is always going to be there, even Mashiach comes, we're still going to celebrate Hanukkah. So the same thing also, the ultimate and future redemption is going to be a redemption that's going to be everlasting. There's not going to be exile after that. When Mashiach comes, it's all over. It'll never be exile again. And the same thing also when it comes to the third temp- temple. We know that the first temple, unfortunately, and the second temple was destroyed, was taken away from us. But the third temple is going to be a house that's going to last forever. It's never going to stop. It's never going to go away. When is that going to happen? We're going to have all these greatest blessings, the ultimate redemption, and the third temple is going to last forever. It's going to happen when Mashiach is, uh, reveals himself and he arrives and he's going to come, God willing, to finish off beautifully. He's going to come and he's going to redeem us and he's going to take us standing upright to Eretz Yisrael. And the Rebbe finishes off by saying, but Karev Mamash should happen very, very quick and very, very soon. So obviously it's a very, very powerful Hanukkah class. And I think there's a lot of beautiful lessons. One of the most powerful lessons that we learn here is that Hanukkah is unfortunately all about the darkness of exile, but through lighting the Hanukkah candles, through living a life of mysterious nevers, bringing out your chidah, we can bring light to the darkest places and it can allow us to live a great life and ultimately bring about the coming of Mashiach. Have a great and blessed week. Happy Hanukkah. Let's hope our next class will be in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. Happy Hanukkah.